Welcome to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. Our top story: a vacation turned nightmare. About 1,000 tourists now trapped in a holiday village in China after avalanches severed road access for days. Look, the cars are buried in snow. Oh my God, an avalanche! Summoned ambassadors plunging investments in a veiled threat from Chinese leader Xi Jinping. A roundup of the chaos surrounding Taiwan's presidential election. Beijing claims it achieved its GDP goal last year, while the world's memory of its downhill economy is still fresh. An economic professor breaks it down. And top toy brands like Barbie and Monopoly joining the fray in a global shift out of China. But toy makers say industry is hitting production snags. More on why. About 1,000 people are now trapped in a holiday village in China's western Xinjiang. Heavy snow hit the region, setting off avalanches, cutting off road access to the outside world. Rescue work is underway, and some tourists have been airlifted to safety by helicopters. Chinese state media hasn't reported any injuries. Look, the cars are buried in snow. Oh my God, an avalanche! Clearing the snow remains a daunting task. Snow in some parts of the area is over 20 feet deep, higher than the snow clearing equipment. Plunging investments shrouded threats from the Chinese Communist leader Xi Jinping and a roundup of diplomatic flare-ups. A look at China's latest actions after Taiwan selected its new president. Here's more. A slew of actions from Beijing after Taiwan chose its new leader. A Chinese Communist Party journal. Published a speech from Communist leader Xi Jinping Monday. In it, he urged the CCP to promote efforts to make Taiwan part of China. This speech is an old one, first published two years ago. At the time, it didn't mention Taiwan. A Chinese invasion of the island would also present a problem for Washington. Taiwan is part of a group of islands in the region. Together, they blocked China from launching submarine-based nuclear attacks. Against the U.S., the communist regime claims Taiwan as its own, despite never having controlled it. Beijing also pressures other countries not to hold formal relations with Taiwan. Now back to the election, the Philippines and Singapore congratulated Taiwan's new president. Soon after, China summoned the Philippines ambassador and lodged a diplomatic complaint against Singapore. As for Taiwan, its defense ministry said on Tuesday that the CCP could amp up its military pressure. The Chinese military will continue to strengthen its pressure on Taiwan in the near future through regular combat readiness patrols and other activities, combining cognitive warfare and gray zone intrusions. Two months before Taiwan's election. Cyber attacks targeting the island hit a new high, spiking over 600% in the last quarter of 2023, compared to the same period last year. The attacks are designed to crash Taiwan's communication networks. That data comes from IT company Cloudflare. What's more, cross-strait tensions have made companies uneasy, and they're taking action to protect themselves. New data shows Taiwanese firms' investments in China. Plunged to its lowest level since 2001, an almost 40% drop compared to last year. Worth noting, 
Taiwanese companies have long been some of China's biggest investors. The U.S. reacting to one Pacific Island's decision to switch diplomatic ties from Taiwan to China Tuesday. While the government of Nauru's action is a sovereign decision, it is nonetheless a disappointing one. Rosenberger is the chair of America's de facto embassy in Taiwan. Nauru cut ties with Taiwan two days after Taiwan's presidential election. The island elected William Lai, exactly the man that Beijing doesn't want. Nauru's action leaves Taiwan with only 12 diplomatic allies across the globe. This has significance for the U.S. as well. Nauru is one of the Pacific Islands Washington and Beijing have been competing for influence over. China already signed a deal with the Salt Solomon Islands, raising concerns that Beijing is gaining a foothold for a military base there, just a thousand miles off Australia's coast. It could also allow Beijing's presence to inch closer to the United States. The Chinese regime claims Taiwan as its own, despite never having controlled the island. Most countries in the world recognize China instead of Taiwan, including the U.S. The Washington is also bound by law to sell arms to Taiwan so it can defend itself. The PRC often makes promises in exchange for diplomatic relations that ultimately remain unfulfilled. The People's Republic of China, or PRC, is China's formal name. Rosenberger added the U.S. has deep confidence in Taiwan and its democratic process. With Taiwan's new president-elect now waiting to take office, how will the upcoming administration tackle the island's relations with communist China? Joining us now to discuss, we have retired General Robert Spaulding. He's a national security analyst and a contributor to the Epic Times. General Spaulding, thank you so much for joining us. Great to have you back on the show. Thanks. Great to be back. Taiwan's defense ministry chief is saying that China will increase those military intimidation tactics against Taiwan. Now, given Lai's victory, what else can we expect from Beijing? Well, this is really getting interesting because, you know, Taiwan just had an election. We're, uh, we just had the Iowa caucuses. Um, we're going to have a general election this year. And uh, based on how the Iowa caucuses go, you could see President Trump back in the White House if that occurs, how does the Beijing think that affects their um, you know, strategy with regard to Taiwan? And so I think we could be coming into a very risky time where Beijing thinks it has very limited time with the Biden administration and whatever it wants to do with Taiwan, it should do now. So I think it does uh, create some challenges. Now, you know, China could decide, hey, we're just not going to do anything. But my my concern is that it, it forces them to really move um, within the next year. And on that note, the U.S. is bound by law to help Taiwan defend itself. We've seen them sending arms over to Taiwan. Given the tensions we're seeing around Taiwan by China, though, how do you see U.S., Taiwan and China relations all fitting together? Well, I mean, one of the big problems with uh, China and the U.S. is the fact that our defense industrial base relies heavily on things made in China, so logistics that would involve any support for a Taiwan effort, a lot of them come from China. So I think the, the challenge we have here is that China has the real ability to begin to cut off the flow of supplies for any response that the U.S. might want to bring. This means that you know it's likely that we're going to be very challenged to provide support that would uh, deter or um, defeat uh, uh, an invasion by, by China.
And now in terms of geopolitics, just two days after Lai's victory there, the Pacific island Nauru cut ties with Taiwan, switching over to Beijing. That leaves Taiwan with 12 diplomatic allies in the world. How do you read this latest move? Well, this is uh, part of an ongoing effort by Beijing to cut the diplomatic space around the world for Taiwan. So Nauru just happens to be the latest to fall in this effort on Beijing in terms of intimidation. And some of it involves, you know, bribing the country to, to basically leave Taiwan or on the Taiwan side, they want to keep these, this diplomatic re recognition and even increase it because it feels like they, it gives them legitis legitimacy as a nation. General Spalding, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. The World Economic Forum just kicked off. Senior U.S. and Chinese officials gathered in Switzerland Tuesday, three days after Taiwan elected its new president. Let's take a look at what's up for discussion. During the World Economic Forum, Chinese Premier Li Qiang claimed China's GDP growth rate last year hit 5.2 percent. Last year, the world saw China's economy make a rapid descent. An economic expert gives his take on what Li said. And uh, we know that uh, the Chinese government is uh, is fabricating, fabricating, you know, their uh, business economic statistics, right? And they have been doing that for decades. How can they believe? How can anyone believe in the numbers if they don't even allow a market research agency to conduct independent research to find out the truth about the Chinese economy? The, nobody can trust them. He also points to China's indexes, questioning how economic growth could exceed 5% as those measures drop. The Chinese economy, I mean, import-export is going down. And infrastructure-wise, we know that the real estate bubble is bursting. They're experiencing great loss. They're laying off uh, government workers and reducing their bonus, even asking them to return the bonus they received in previous years. We know the, the factories are relocating, to moving out of China to other countries, like ASEAN countries, Vietnam and India and others. Now the Chinese uh, people, young people, they are rushing, you know, in mass to Vietnam to find jobs. How can you have a uh, 5% GDP? That's, that's simply impossible. On top of that, China stopped reporting its youth unemployment rate last year. She estimates the real figure could now top 40%. So think, think about this for, for a second. Right? In this country, in the United States, we have an uh, 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 unemployment rate in the, in the 3% range, and we have uh, economic growth uh, very slow, almost zero to like about 1.5%. And how can you imagine a 48% youth unemployment in China with a GDP of 5% growth? That's just simply impossible. China is desperate to attract more foreign investments to offset the problem. The question is, will the world regain trust in China's market? You know, we have seen the party, Xi Jinping and uh, his, uh, his leadership, the team that's surprising on uh, foreign uh, businesses, private businesses, private sector. And uh, they could easily simply just uh, uh, arrest those uh, uh, foreign, um, foreign business executives in China for whatever reason.
Following the Chinese premier's speech, EU Commission President lashed out at a potential Chinese export ban. That measure would see Beijing halt shipments of three metals, all of them critical to making semiconductors. She said she doesn't see how China could rebuild trust while pushing more export controls on strategic materials. A quick look at how China's economy is holding up. As we enter 2024, the country's economic foundation remains unsteady. According to a new Reuters poll, the nation's economic growth is likely to drop down to 4.6 percent this year, even though more deflationary pressures and stimulus measures are on the way. Over the past year, China has been scrambling for a post-pandemic recovery, especially in the midst of a debt-laden real estate crisis and weak consumer confidence. Amid the slowdown, some wealthier Chinese now say they can't afford marriage as the economy slows. An increasing number of people are opting to stay single due to poor job prospects, alongside record youth unemployment and chronically low consumer confidence. 2022 saw a record slump in marriage registrations, piling on the pressure for China's rapidly aging population and birth rate decline. To combat those problems, Chinese authorities are urging better financing coordination for the housing sector. China's housing ministry and financial regulator are calling for financing support for real estate projects. It's a bid to revive the sluggish housing market. What's more, the regulators urge financial institutions to speed up loan approval for qualified projects. China's property sector has been grappling with a liquidity crisis since mid-2021. Switching gears to the aerospace industry, according to the Wall Street Journal, Boeing's delivery of its 737 MAX jets to China is facing delays. The holdup follows an incident earlier this month when a cabin panel was blown off mid-air from one of its jetliners. For years, the aerospace giant has been working to bring back shipments to China. But in the crosshairs of the U.S.-China trade war, the possibility of fully resuming them is still up in the air. America's top shopping season may be behind us, but toy makers are grappling with another problem. They're looking to trade up manufacturing from China to India as labor costs soar in the communist country. But making the shift isn't quite so easy. Let's take a look. Six years ago, monopoly maker Hasbro approached Indian durable goods and aerospace supplier Acus with a proposition. $100 million later, Acus now makes dozens of types of toys for Hasbro in Belgium, India. Barbie maker Mattel has also reportedly been shifting away from China since 2007 after a recall on millions of toys over lead paint. But toy makers say India and other countries can't match China's efficiency, raising costs and risking higher toy prices for shoppers. The pandemic put a spotlight on those issues when Chinese ports struggled to export goods and were periodically shut down, leaving shipments stranded. Based on U.S. and European Union import data, China still made 79 percent of toys sold there in the first half of last year. While supply chain website Pangeva reports that India made just 1 percent of U.S. and EU toy imports over the past five years. Next, we'd like to take a moment to share some of your comments about our show. Three viewers highlighted a naming dependency over an ocean in Asia. Communist China recognizes the body of water by the name the South China Sea. But if you ask the Philippine government, parts of that territory are called the West Philippine Sea. That name referring to areas inside the Philippines' exclusive economic zone. The issue references China's sovereignty claim over virtually all of the South China Sea. 
Worth noting, an international tribunal invalidated that claim in 2016. Don't forget to tell us what you think of today's show. Or if you have an idea for something you'd like to see us cover, send us an email at chinainfocus at ntd.com. Coming up, a red carpet reception in Washington for a controversial guest. A Chinese Communist Party envoy tied to secret police operations in New York. Find out the details behind his visit and Beijing's alarming Operation Fox Hunt. North Korea ramping up aggression, issuing a fresh warning of war to South Korea while sending its foreign minister to Moscow. More on the unfolding events in East Asia. And traditional artwork on display. NTD is hosting the sixth international figure painting competition in New York City. The finalists' exhibition featuring over 50 artists. Stay with us for a look at the talented finalists and their work after the break here on China in Focus. Welcome back to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer, a top Chinese envoy getting a red carpet welcome in Washington Friday. That's despite accusations of masterminding illegal Chinese police outposts in the U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken met with the Chinese regime's international liaison, Liu Jintao. The Beijing official also met with an advisor to President Biden, the Secretary General to the United Nations, and the Council on Foreign Relations in Manhattan. News of his U.S. visit sends sparks flying, with human rights activists pointing to Liu's leading a program called Operation Fox Hunt. It's known for establishing illegal Chinese policing stations around the world, including in New York City. These outposts have been accused of spying on, harassing, and even kidnapping Chinese dissidents living overseas and pressuring them to return to China. Liu said his trip aims to improve understanding between the U.S. and China. Worth noting, he's the top candidate for the Chinese Communist Party's next foreign minister. Wang Yi currently holds the post, but his appointment is believed to be a temporary one after his predecessor Qing Gan disappeared last summer. A fresh warning of war from North Korea. Its leader Kim Jong-un has called for a constitutional change to define South Korea as an enemy. Here's more. North Korean leader Kim Jong-un has called for his country's constitution to be changed so that South Korea is seen as its primary foe and invariable principal enemy. Kim also added that South Koreans should no longer be referred to as fellow countrymen. The South's President Yoon Suk-yeol hit back at the North hours later. North Korean authorities defined South and North Korea as two hostile countries, not same-race countries. This shows the North Korean regime acknowledging their nature as anti-national and ahistorical. In his speech to North Korea's rubber stamp parliament, the Supreme People's Assembly, Kim added unification with the South was no longer an option. The North State TV also quoted him saying three organizations in charge of unification and inter-Korean tourism would be shut down. Kim's call for constitutional changes come as tensions have recently worsened in the Korean peninsula. There's been a series of missile tests and a push by Pyongyang to break with decades of policy and change how it relates to the South. Meanwhile, North Korea sent its foreign minister to Moscow on Tuesday. There, the regime's top diplomat met with her Russian counterpart. 
According to North Korea's foreign minister, ties with Russia are developing in line with plans set by the leaders of both countries. She also emphasized that North Korea and Russia have a long history of friendship and that the United States and its allies are concerned about their relationship. The Russian foreign minister noted he would discuss the broader situation on the Korean peninsula and criticize U.S. policy toward North Korea. The Kremlin said Russian President Vladimir Putin would meet both ministers later on Tuesday to discuss the result of their talks. Traditional realism showcased at the sixth traditional figure painting competition hosted by NTD. This year's exhibition features over 60 paintings from more than 50 artists around the world. The event opened yesterday in New York City. Let's take a look. After more than a year of preparation, the sixth international figure painting competition hosted by NTD brought together over 100 artists from four continents. After careful selection from the judges, more than 60 pieces from over 50 artists were chosen for the finalist exhibition. The art is currently being exhibited at the Salmagundi Club in New York City. The motivation behind this oil painting is seeing the citizens of Hong Kong willing to make a choice between good and evil for the sake of Hong Kong's freedom and their own will. Zhang Kuanlun is one of the judges and also a renowned sculptor. He says the competition has an important mission. This competition showcases the traditions of divine culture, and that's what we want to do, to express truth, goodness, beauty, purity and brightness. Richard Yin is the deputy director of the NTD competition series. Through our joint efforts, we can help elevate humanity's realism art to its peak. As one of the top realism oil painting competitions in the world, the competition promotes the traditions of pure and beautiful oil paintings and has received high praise from artists worldwide. I think for every artist an honor to be part of this event because, you know, you see the quality of the paintings and also the meaning everybody took so much effort and worked on themselves so hard, I think. If you want to reach this level, you have to put a lot of effort and dedication into your work. The award ceremony will take place on January 18th and will be free for the public. The paintings will be on display until January 19th. That's all for today's China In Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. If you have any feedback on the show or have something you'd like to see us cover, send us an email at chinainfocusntd.com. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for watching. See you tomorrow.